I'm Chief Christy Giuseppe from WhatCopsWatch.com, and you're listening to another terrifying episode of Two Guys Talking Horror on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Have you ever had the feeling of being watched? Hidden eyes following you? A cold chill crawling up your spine? The hairs on the back of your neck standing straight up? Do you know what that is? It's fear. It's fear. Fear is the most basic human emotion tied into our instinct to survive. Fear gives us the means to overcome great odds or cripple us with paralyzing dread. Dread. But fear can also entertain. Turn off all the lights, lock your closet door, and ignore the sounds from beneath your bed. It's time for Two Guys Talking Horror. The Academy Awards. Oscar, the oldest and most respected entertainment award ceremony out there, often referred to as the Super Bowl of the movie industry. Some of the greatest films ever made have been recognized by Hollywood's highest honor across all types of genres, drama, comedy, war films, biopics, musicals, westerns, and historical epics, just to name a few. But what about the horror genre? Viewed as the black sheep during award season, horror films rarely get the recognition they so often deserve. Just because it has a bloody body count and people screaming for their lives doesn't necessarily mean it's filled with poor acting, sloppy writing, and misguided direction. Join us as we take a trip through Oscar history, look at a few horror films that have been honored, and talk about some of the iconic horror films that were snubbed throughout the years here on a very special Oscar episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls. I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, one of your hosts. And I am Jason Contini, your co-host. It's a wonderful night for Oscar. Oscar, Oscar. Oscar. Who will win? Who who will win? (laughs) Well, not a horror movie. Not a horror movie. So if you haven't guessed by now, folks, we're going to be talking about award shows, specifically the Oscars, and how horror films, the horror genre, has just been slapped across the face like a bad date throughout history where getting awards are concerned. But before we get to that, a little bit of housekeeping. Two Guys Talking Horror Social Media Presence. Now, we don't just do podcasts. We are everywhere. We're in your bathroom right now using your toothbrush. We're hanging from the rafters above the sofa in your living room. Blah. I don't say blah, blah, blah. (laughs) One of the things that I'm proud of where Two Guys Talking Horror is concerned is our social media presence. We are on Facebook, we are on Twitter, we are on Instagram, and every social platform is just a little bit different. Our interaction with fans is just a little bit different, and we do a lot 
of posting on social media. It's not all about the podcast. It's about horror. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff out there that we're constantly posting about and engaging with people. No, oh, yeah. Anytime anybody wants to, we're we're very active. We are with very the active. social media community. There's at least there's at least usually about one post a day about something. Yeah, at least, yeah. And right now, and I'm hoping throughout the future of two guys talking horror, we are actually uh, dealing with the spookies. Yep. Our take on horror award season because there there isn't a horror awards show out there anymore and i know we're we're you know we're nobody but i feel our opinion matters at least to each of us exactly <laughs> what we've done is we took all of the horror movies that came out through 2018 we put them all in different categories we strenuously decided which ones deserved nominations in what categories and we posted all that stuff out on social media for you guys to vote and vote you did and we are very thankful for that and the the spookies will air quote air quotes i'm actually <laughs> using air quotes you can't see me it's a podcast will air the night before the oscars on facebook uh we're working on uh, setting up a youtube channel uh, i'm i'm still very leery about youtube because of all of their all of the things i've been hearing about how difficult youtube is to, to actually work with and through but we're doing videos now. We're all over social media. We get, and you've got the podcast, so we're we're literally everywhere for you. So if you enjoy listening to us, you'll enjoy following us on all our social media platforms. The Curious Goods Podcast. Now I am a sucker for a shameless promotion, and that's what this is. <laughs> I am a man of many podcasts. We actually have another horror-based podcast going on, uh, hosted by me and Mike Wilkerson, what we are actually doing is we are taking the TV show, Friday the 13th, the series, which was a great anthology series that aired during the late 80s, and we are taking every one of those episodes, we're watching them, retelling the story to our listeners, and then breaking down the episode with, with the goods and the bads for your listening pleasure. I fortunately own the complete series, so we, we've been watching my copy, but it's also available on YouTube. A funny thing about it is, is that the YouTube channel has Greek subtitles all over it. <laughs> so we, we even put a link in our show notes for every episode for fans to be able to watch the show with oh, Greek subtitles. That's, that's nice. You can watch it with us. Watch it with us. <laughs> He's doing the air quotes again. Air quotes again, <clears throat> because nobody can see me. Uh, you can either watch it with us, or you can enjoy our humorous retelling of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. I will definitely make sure that there is a link for the Curious Goods podcast in the show notes for this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. If you were ever a fan of the adventures of Mickey, Ryan, and Jack Marshak, and the hunt for cursed items... Definitely check out the Curious Goods podcast. All right, Jason, that's enough of housekeeping. We have literally 90 years to look back on, and we don't want to waste any more time doing it. So let's jump right into the history of the Oscars snubbing horror. <laughs> Oscar... History.
I think a little bit of backstory on the Oscars themselves and 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 actually how they work and how how they work and how they came about yeah and how they came me about and, and yeah, the rest absolutely. of our listeners. So the first thing I think that is important to know when talking about just award shows in general is that the Oscars were the first. Mm. Uh, there's the Grammys and there's you know Golden Globes and Emmys and Tonys. And they uh, Oscar they, was first though. They all followed the Oscar model okay yeah. so it's it's the granddaddy of all the award shows which is why it's the top that's mm. why it is the the big event a really industry. big shoe a really big shoe ironically though obviously comes with its own controversies over the years and people think that it's just a bunch of stars patting each other on the backs well and um and and maybe it has become that in a sense but ironically it didn't start that way okay and it ironically also did not start to honor art either <laughs> It, Who the uh, hell is art? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It actually started to combat unionization of the crew at the studios. Oh, wow. So actually, the Oscars originally started, well, not the Oscars necessarily, but the Academy itself. The Academy mm-hmm. of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences started by Louis B. Mayer from Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Mm-hmm. And essentially, he wanted a new house. <laughs> And it was at a time when unions were starting to build up, right. and there was a lot of talk of unionization in the film industry, both for crews and for artists as well. So he could not just get the crew guys to build his house for him, <laughs> which is what I guess he was accustomed to, I assume. Uh-huh. He invited a bunch of people over to his home, including Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and Charlie Chaplin and, and Mary Pickford. Mm. And pitched this idea of the American Academy to them and had them all sign this this initial form and be the first group to join. Right. The idea was that he pitched them on, that he sold them on, was that if they joined, he would make sure that working conditions would improve at the studio. <laughs> And it was his way to kind of help stop the unions from starting. Because if he could improve things and and essentially be his own union without being a union, then possibly those guys wouldn't unionize and then he could use them to build his house. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, So that's kind of how. How many houses do you need? Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how it started over the years, uh, those early years. It it got to the point where it wasn't really necessarily taken seriously. Mm hmm. And so in order to legitimize itself, they decided that they needed some sort of an event every year ah, yes. to connect it to. A gathering. And a gathering, yes. And that's how the Oscars were born. That's how the ceremony came about. And I mean, in those early years, you know, they everybody showed up at the Oscars. Everybody already knew who won. They just, you know, they announced it right off the bat. Sometimes the newspapers got it three days ahead of time. Right, right. You know, it wasn't any kind of big surprise. It was just enough to legitimize the Academy until, you know, as the years went on, it became more and more what it is now. actors are known for wanting to be self-gradulatory, so it makes total sense that you get the those arts, those artist types together to celebrate themselves. Right. And that was, you know, that was certainly something that came out of it, and that's how Mayer knew that he could control these people because Mm. he... There was a quote somewhere, and I forget the quote verbatim, but uh, it had something to do with Mayer saying that he knew that the best way to control 
actors and directors was to hang medals on them and give them trophy cups. Oh well. So you yeah. know, I mean, he's not necessarily wrong. He's not. No, he's <laughs> he's not wrong. Not at all. So yeah, that's kind of the basic history. I mean, over the years, they've changed things here and there, and they've added categories and taken categories away, and you know, and it's gone through a lot of morphing in time. But yeah, uh, yeah it, that's basically how it all started. Interestingly, one of the things that has changed over the years mm. is the amount of nominees for Best Picture. And I, I only bring this up because in recent years, in the last 10 years, we've gone from five nominees in Best Picture to up to 10. Up to 10, yeah. And everybody has kind of voiced their own opinions on that, and there's two camps, and there's pros and cons to it. The, the ironic thing is that it's nothing new. Mm. The Academy used to do... Up to twelve, I think. In I think in 1939, there were twelve nominees. Wow, I, I'm not positive, but I think there were twelve. So it's it's not a new concept. In those early years, they just picked however many they wanted to pick, and I think it was it was probably, in my opinion, it seems anyway that it that it was probably sometime around 1944, 1945 when they started to maybe get a little stricter, and I think that was because of the Best Actor Supporting Actor debacle of that ah. year. Apparently that year, Barry Fitzgerald was nominated alongside Bing Crosby oh. as Best Actor, both of them for the movie Going My Way, which won Best Picture that mm -hmm. year. However, Barry Fitzgerald was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor that year for Going My Way. Whoa, wait, wait. That <laughs> he, doesn't seem fair at all. It is the it is the one and only time that one actor got nominated in two categories for playing the same part in the same film. Wow. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. It's not fair. And and it was because of that that the Academy started to limit the way nominations were picked and voting happened and, and all of that to make sure that that it was a little f more fair and right, that you couldn't yeah. just stack the stack the awards with yourself but it, i i would assume that it was around there that they started to to alter the amount of best picture nominees and then we were you know we had five films nominated for best picture from then on until until 2000 what was that 2009 i think yeah something like that so and has it always been is it always five for actor actress all the other subsequent whether is it, is it always five in all those other categories it is always five in all of the other categories no more than five but it could no be less than five. Than it five. could be yeah it, it very rarely is for the more creative the, the more creative categories like right. actor and, and such but yeah sometimes visual effects have only had three nominees yeah, i think yeah. there have been years where makeup and other such similar categories only had two nominees mm, you yeah, know okay. not not a lot but i think that has happened before and that's really a result of the voting and the way the voting works. And I think when you're talking about, when, when we're sitting here talking about how horror films are snubbed and looked over. Well, you got to look at the vote. The, you got to look how it works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it isn't necessarily all of the Academy ignoring horror. Okay. The way it works is when you join the Academy, and you do have to be invited to join. Now, you can, you can be invited to join once you've been nominated for mm. an Oscar, but you do have to be invited to join the Academy. Uh, that's not the only way to be invited, but that's the primary way. When you join the Academy, you have to choose what designation you go in as, whether it's as an actor or a director or a writer, a writer or effects artist, whatever. Oh, wow, okay. And you can only pick one. So someone like Clint Eastwood, 
he writes his own films, he directs, he acts, he produces, he even does his own scores yeah. uh, oftentimes. Right. He cannot enter the Academy under all of those categories. Right. Would not be fair. Right. So he has to pick one. Now, I don't know what he's under, but he probably director at this point. And the reason for that is because actors vote for the actors. Directors, directors vote, vote for, for directors, directors. Okay. and so on. Yeah. Everyone votes for Best Picture, at least in the nomination round. Okay. So okay. when you're when you're determining the nominees, it is your own peers in your category right. that are nominating you. And it's a very strange process to do the nominations. And I'm I'm sure I will get some of the details of this a little mixed up. But let's say you're nominating Best Actress. All right. And everyone that has entered the Academy as an actor, they all fill out their ballots. And what you do is you pick the five actresses that you think are the best actress of the year. And you rank them in order, one through five. Okay. All right. Then you send in your ballots. The Academy gets all of the ballots. You count exactly how many ballots there are. I don't know, you know, who knows what the number is. But you count all of the ballots. Then, because the category has five nominations in it, you take the number five and for some reason add one to it. I'm not sure why, (laughs) but you add one to it. I'm sure there's a reason out there. I just don't know it. And then, so that's six. So then you divide the number that you got of the total of ballots by six. Okay. And that number that you come up with is your target number. So therefore, as they count the ballots and count the nominations, you have to reach that number of votes in order to secure a nomination. Let's say that the target number, for sake of argument, is 333. Okay. So what the Academy does then is they sit down and they look at all of the ballots. So let's say Lynn Shay oh, from, from the Insidious movies. Let's say that she had scored 337 votes as the number one slot. That beats the target number. Yep. So she's automatically a nominee. She's she, automatically she she's gets, a, she's in. She gets the first slot okay. of, of five. So then what happens to all the other names? The second, third, fourth, and fifth place votes on that list, well, the Price Waterhouse accountants who do all the tabulating, they go through the remaining ballots and they remove the stack with the fewest votes. Okay. So let's say, you know, someone like Jamie Lee Curtis has received the fewest first place votes. So that stack is then counted according to the second place wow. selections. And then they they continue so and, and so, so forth. Yes. Yeah. So, it's it's a very I'm, I'm not an accountant. It's a very complicated <laughs> and drawn out process. But therefore, if you look at it and you think, well, how come Jamie Lee Curtis keeps getting snubbed just because she's in a horror star? Well, she's not being snubbed by the Academy. She is being forgotten by her own peers of the other actors. Mm-hmm. Now, once all of the nominees have been determined and you have every category set then that ballot goes out to the whole Academy, and then the whole Academy votes on everything. Ah, okay. So actors at that point can vote for effects and and so on, which is why sometimes the Academy gets so crazy, and things that should be sweeping the Oscars don't because you've got so many people voting for so many different categories at that point. 
in most of those categories they know nothing really about. It's just very oh, possible. That sounded it's, all right, or that looked really pretty, or so and so who does sound on that film is the husband of my very good friend, so I'm going to vote for him. I mean, let's face it, you can't really quantify art. It is a popularity contest. It, it is. It is. All award shows for any artistic endeavor are popularity contests. Yeah. You can say that everything that is nominated is high quality, but you can't say that Alien is any better or any worse than, say, something like Curse of Frankenstein. They're not exactly the same kind of film. Right. So it's hard to compare the two. It it does end up kind of being, I think, a a popularity contest at some point. But that's essentially how the voting works. And And I do think that that is important to know. Uh, when talking about what's being what's being snubbed, and especially with horror. Horror at the Oscars. Well, now that we know how the Academy works and the voting is tallied and all that stuff, now let's let's actually look at some of the films that were honored in some way, shape, or form by the Academy. Well, when you look at that. I think the first thing you have to look at is obviously the top category, best picture. Best picture. Technically, when you look into the history of the Oscars, I think they only consider six films, six horror films, to ever have been nominated for best picture. I'm not entirely certain that all of the films on this list actually qualify as horror films, Mm -hmm. but these are the six films that are technically considered to be horror films. There is a seventh film that is... Not necessarily a horror film. It is a gothic romance thriller, which sometimes gets confused for horror quite Mm -hmm. often because so many gothic horror novels kind of traipse that line. Things like Picture of Dorian Gray, which is kind of gothic horror, but, you know, or Seven Gables and and things of that nature. But the, the one film that is sometimes considered, but not really because it's not exactly a horror film is Hitchcock's Rebecca. Okay. Rebecca, it's not really a horror film. It's more like it's more like Wuthering Heights in the sense that it has the moors and the fog and the giant castle and the creaky rooms. But there's nothing supernatural about it. There's nothing inherently evil there. You know, there's certainly unsavory characters, but... It's and you not, have Hitchcock directing. And you've got it, so. Hitchcock, so it is suspenseful, but it's not exactly a horror film. That won Best Picture in 1940. But I personally don't know that you can necessarily consider that a horror film. Yeah. So that's the questionable seventh film. The six films. Honorable mention. Yeah, the six films that are considered to be the six horror Oscar nominees are The Exorcist, which was first. That's the very, in my it's opinion, the first, first one. Yep. Jaws. Or it's giant monster, man. Silence of the Lambs. Yes, that's that's some horror. That's some horrific. St- yep. If somebody is killing women for making a skin suit, that's horror. And and not just him, but but then you also have a cannibal as well. Right. Right. Sixth Sense. Yes, that which was, is horror. It's ghosts. Yeah, it's ghosts. This is the one I'm not entirely certain qualifies. Black Swan. I can see why they consider it a horror yeah. film. I can see it. And so, yes, 
I concede that it is because I want more horror films to have the <laughs> best picture nomination. Psychological horror. Psychological. I'll, I'll, that's, yes. That's the only way yes. that I would actually edge that in there. Yes. Is psychological horror. Yes. That's the only one that I find really questionable. The sixth film is Get Out. Again, which again is probably a little bit more psychological. psychological. Yeah, yeah. But then there's 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 a deeper level to that as well. Right, right. And of course, I don't think it's any big surprise to anyone. The only one of those six films that actually won the Best Picture prize was Silence of the Lambs. Yep. Yes. That's that's the only one. Which also, incidentally, is not only the first horror film to win Best Picture. But it also holds another record. I'm not sure if you know about. Maybe maybe you do. Yeah, it, it holds it holds another record in in Oscar history. It is one of only three films to win all five of the top prizes: picture, actor, actress, director, and screenplay. It really? is it oh. is one of only three films. The only wow. other two films that did it were It Happened One Night in 1934. Okay. And One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest ah. in 1975. And then the third time was Silence of the Lambs in 1991. Wow, okay. Only three films to win all five of the top I did primary not know awards. That. I did yeah. not know that. That is a surprise to me. So as far as horror's history with the Academy Awards, mm. the first horror film to really be recognized by the Academy, again, like Black Swan... And Rebecca, it kind of depends on what exactly your definition of a horror film is. Right. There is a film in 1931 that did get nominated for art direction and cinematography. And it's a film that stars John Barrymore and Marion Marsh. And it is called Svengali. Mm. Which is ironic because there is a late night horror host in in the midwest here here but yeah in chicago in, yes. not too far away from st louis called sven Gulli. and i don't know that it necessarily qualifies as a horror film from what i've never seen it but from what i understand it, it sounds like it's a little bit of a mad genius kind of thing and mm. it might be a little more psychological thriller than horror film but i think technically it's the first film of that type to get nominations at the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But not the first to win. The first horror film to win any kind of an Oscar is in the, the 1932-1933 Academy Awards. Frederick March, who won Best Actor. Ah, Jekyll and Hyde. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Ah, also, yes. th- Also the only year that Best Actor was a tie. Uh, Wallace Berry won the same year for the champ. It, it, both of them won. Oh, wow. So even though a horror star won Best Actor, they couldn't just give it they to the... They couldn't just give it to him. It had to be yeah, a tie. Yeah, it had to be a tie. <sighs> yeah, but it's at, if you haven't seen it, that's an amazing... I, I was just watching that clip, that first transformation clip the other yes. day, and oh man, it's an incredible transformation. Makeup-wise, makeup that is some brilliant makeup work. Yeah, it really is. Using the different colored lenses yeah. on the camera to slowly do the transformation i mean just just uh, for and for that day and time yeah i mean this yeah. is the this is the early 30s well and the the rumor that i always read is that for the longest time people didn't know how they did it for for years mm. nobody could figure out how they did the transformation i, I well, don't you remember you back know. then a lot of makeup artists and even camera operators 
didn't share their secrets. It was oh, all sure. very, yeah. it was all very kept close to the oh, vest. Oh, sure, right. Because you did not want somebody else figuring out how you did something and scurrying off to a different studio, and, and now they taking know your the job tricks. And, yeah. yeah, right, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great film. Strongly suggest anybody uh, gets a chance check out the Frederick March version of uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Not not just because of the the amazing performance by March, but also pay attention to the screenplay. It is the first horror film to be nominated for adapted screenplay. Oh, nice. As well. Okay. So uh, those were its two its two uh, big nominations for that year. I, I, it may have gotten others. I'm not sure, but those were the two big ones. Mm. And horror has been around since the beginning of cinema. So it's nice to know that even way back then, the genre is getting noticed, but again, still not being taken as seriously as it should be. Right, right. Obviously, Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster both won for Silence of the Lambs. Right, yes. So, Frederick March... Well-deserved. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, Frederick March is not the only actor to win or be nominated for a horror film. There yeah. are there are plenty. No, we're not going to list them all. No. We don't We don't have time. We understand that we are going <laughs> to drop really some names. Want, do you really want to sit here <laughs> you know, for three and a half hours and listen to this yeah, podcast? Yeah, we, we, we won't list everything. We're just going to talk about a couple of the big ones right. that really hit to, to both of us. I will mention, though... The four big winners are Ruth Gordon, who won Supporting Actress for Rosemary's Baby mm. in 1968. Kathy Bates, who won Best Actress for Misery oh. in 1990. I mean, come on. Again, well-deserved. And again, psychological horror, but it depends on how you look at it, Natalie Portman for Black Swan right, in 2010. Right. Outside of that, I don't know that anyone else has actually won for a horror film. Now there might be, and I and I don't know it, but I don't think so. And there's a lot of good performances. I mean, yeah. How did Jason Miller not win for The Exorcist? <laughs> how did that happen? How did Max von Sydow not get at least a supporting actor? Why didn't nomination? even get? Yeah, why didn't even get a nomination for that? Ellen Burstyn. Hmm. How did she not win for The Exorcist? I mean, come <sighs> on. How was how was how did anybody not get how did nominated? anybody not get well I mean she was nominated but how did she not win not win okay okay so she was at least nominated. she was nominated and Jason Miller was nominated and Linda Blair was nominated okay. so they, those three did score nominations but they didn't win come on and how it's, did it's a scary movie we, I no, guess we don't want to give them to this how did Boris Karloff not get a nomination for Bride of Frankenstein perhaps the best horror film of the pre. 1960 era of horror and certainly in the top 10 of all time right how did how did that not happen well also if if we're going to talk about the classics then why does james whale not have an oscar or at least a nomination at the very least at the very least a nomination at the very least a nomination but no of course for, not. A, for a horror film no of yeah. course not because it they, they're not taken that seriously you know you and I have talked about this outside of the podcast constantly. Art is subjective, but it seems like all the time the people who have control over everything view the horror genre as the lowest common denominator when it comes to quote-unquote art. Right. And you you have to do something special like your Exorcist or your Silence of the Lambs to be considered art and still have your toe dipped in the genre of horror again unless it is thriller or psychological yeah. horror those get those seem to get 
recognize, but like real monsters and horror. The last time that I can remember an actor getting nominated for for playing some sort of a monster character, and maybe it's happened since and I don't recall it, but mm. the last time I recall is Willem Dafoe for Shadow of the Vampire. Yeah. And that was As the Max year Shrek. 2000. Right, yeah. And I again, and he's playing a historic actor. Well, the, the basis of the right. film is that right. he's an actual vampire. Right, yeah. So he is a monster. He 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 was giving a performance as a monster and got nominated. I can't remember any since then that have that have scored an acting nomination for playing yeah. some sort of a supernatural creature. They just don't do it. Yeah. And the same thing, like you said, James Whale. The same thing with with directors and and writers. They don't seem to get the attention either. Alfred Hitchcock did get nominated as director for Psycho. For Psycho, you're right. But, but of course, it still didn't win. It did no, it didn't win. And supporting actress got nominated. Uh, I, uh, probably Janet Lee, I would assume. I would assume too. Although I'm sorry, Anthony Perkins. Where was is, his nomination? Is, yeah, it, I mean it's Anthony Perkins who carries yeah. that movie. I, I absolutely after agree. After you kill off Janet Lee, sorry, spoilers, everybody. Yeah. Janet Lee dies. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't seen Psycho yet, you're probably not going to get to it. So I just spoiled it for you. <laughs> you know, uh, another ironic twist in award ceremony and award seasons. Get this: Sigourney Weaver, mm. lover, lover. Every, yep, got to Sigourney Weaver nominated for Best Actress in 1986 for Aliens, but not for Alien, and neither Ridley Scott nor Cameron. Wow. Nominated as a director. Well, let us not forget, though, most people view aliens as sci-fi action. As opposed to horror. As right. opposed to horror. Now, me, I view it as sci-fi action horror. I agree. Because there are some very scary They're moments very in that much so, movie. yeah. And that first one, I look at as it, hardcore it's, horror. It's, it's hardcore horror. Just yeah. because it takes place on a spaceship no. yeah, does not, doesn't take away It's a monster it. in it the house. A monster. Yeah. yeah, monster in the house. Yeah. Totally, a monster in the house movie. Yet nothing for that film. But she's nominated for Aliens. Well, at least, Strange. At least she got nominated. Uh, that's true. That is true. It's certainly one-sided, and, it, and unfortunately, again, we don't have time to go through them all, but you can pretty much, in an afternoon go through a list and see all of the actors and directors that have ever been nominated for a horror film because they're that few and far right. between. Something that we, we found during our research for this episode, uh, and it goes right into one of my all-time favorite horror movies, uh, the creation mm, yes, yes. of an actual award in the Academy, which I think, and this is this is the 80s, this is the beginning of the 80s, yeah. Uh, this should have been done decades earlier, which kind of boggles my mind that it wasn't. But the creation of best makeup effects was created in what was 1981. Yeah, 81. Because in 1980, the film The Elephant Man, ironically starring Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. And Good John point. John Hurt <laughs> yeah. from Alien. The film wasn't being wasn't being recognized for its astounding achievement in in makeup effects, and there was there was a lot of uh, anger yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. Hollywood was up in arms. Uh, so the very next year, they create the best makeup effect award, and wouldn't you know it, the first thing to win, the first thing to win is an American werewolf in London, 
one of my all time, my first horror movie, the very first horror movie I ever saw. Oh, really? Very first. Yes. Wow. Very first That's, horror movie. Yeah, you set the bar pretty high. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> and and one of my all time favorite when when it comes to the werewolf genre. That's that it that again. There's the bar. It's if you're, oh yeah, yeah. If you can impress me like American Werewolf in London did, then you know you're all right with me. I find it interesting as the decades go on that you can't overlook certain things. I mean, it's very similar to in recent years. So many animated features were being created that. They weren't being considered for best picture because they were a cartoon, but people were like, "This is art still. This yep. is still art. These yep. are great stories. These are these are great movies." And then to concede the point, it's like, "All right, well, fine. We'll create the best animated feature award." It happens with the Academy all the time. Uh, if fifty four, I think, or fifty six, uh, one of the two, mm-hmm. one of those two years, there it's the same kind of uh, approach and. As a result, the foreign language, best ah, best okay. foreign language okay. film category was created. Mm. So I mean, yeah, it happens. It happens all the time. Well, as the digital age progressed, they had to create yeah. a, an Academy Award for best digital effects. Yeah, yeah, it, and, and it makes sense. Yet, you're getting all of these. You know, superhero movies get get nominated for all the pretty awards. You know, yeah. cinematography, yeah. editing, sound, stuff like that. Your fantasy movies, your sci-fi movies, they're getting nominated for the pretty awards as yep. well. Where's horror? Well, I, I will say that while horror, it, it's interesting because you you bring up the superhero films and sci-fi films and fantasy films. And again, we're not going to talk about Lord of the Rings. That's a totally different thing all on its own. Well, yes. Because that's a giant monster of a project that they did. Aside from Lord of the Rings, fantasy films, sci-fi films, superhero films, all of that kind of stuff, they do. They get a lot of the pretty nominations, yeah. but none of the bigger awards. Right Now, horror has certainly not missed out on its pretty nominations no, no, no. over the years. But again, it was all your, your, like you call them, pretty effects. It was all your visual effects, sound effects, things like that. Ghostbusters got a visual effects nomination. Right. Well, uh, the, the, the birds. The, the point I was trying to make is that is that now with the, the progression of the sci-fi, the fantasy, and your superhero movies, those are getting more of the pretty technical awards and horror is oh getting oh those as opposed to nowadays. You mean, I mean you're when saying was the last that time it's a horror right. movie was nominated for makeup effects? Boy, I, I I can't remember. I would think maybe, gosh, I guess it was back in 2010, Wolfman. I know Rick Baker won. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty positive that that so Rick 2000, Baker. So 2010, Baker, who has won seven. That was that was his seventh. That was I guess. his seventh yeah. Academy Award for makeup out yeah. of ten nominations over ten, the ten or eleven yeah. over his career. Yeah. Okay, so but but again, I remember there was a lot of controversy where where that nomination was even concerned because that movie was also very filled heavily with digital, digital. effects yep. as well. Yep, I love Rick Baker's work. Yeah. when it's just the the costume, but again, I I too agree that there was just a little bit too much CGI tossed into that movie for my taste. Yeah, yeah. In that case, you know, to be honest, I don't know that a horror film has gotten a visual effect or a makeup award, a real true horror film, since maybe 
The Cell and Hollow Man, both oh, in wow. 2000. I, I mean, there are things like yeah. King Kong, which has monsters, I guess, and but it's not really a horror film. And giant monsters. If you got a giant yeah, gorilla fighting two, it's two T Rexes. I mean, it's I'll, I'll, I'll it's a monster, it monster movie. movie. Yeah, I'll give it monster movie. But um, you know, which and does fall into the realm of horror. Things like Sweeney Todd got costume nomination. You know, okay. But as far as makeup and visual effects, no, I think it's the Cell and Hollow Man in 2000. Jeez. So it's it's been a while. It's been a little while. We're gonna take a quick break here during the Two Guys Talking Horror Goes to the Oscars episode. So we'll be right back. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. Editing podcasts can be ugh, rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls. We are neck deep into our look at the disrespectful nature of the Academy Awards towards the horror genre. Yeah, that's right. I'm angry. I'm <laughs> Well, I'm not angry. I'm perturbed. I want you to get up. <laughs> I want you to go to your, your torture chamber window, and I want you to yell out, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Not from a horror movie, but that, that, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, sorry, got carried away on that one. I guess. <laughs> For your consideration, 
Six films slashed by Oscar. Now, we could have made an incredibly long list oh, yeah. of films that were deserving of some sort of a nomination. Not necessarily saying best picture, sure. but something. One of the one of the many different nominations. Sure. At least visual effects. At, At least, least something. something. Yeah. We're going to go through the decades and pick out just a few that definitely deserved some recognition. Invisible Man, 1933. Now, I mentioned James Whale earlier in the podcast, yeah. uh, one of my favorite classic-era horror directors. Love the Frankenstein stuff, but I, yeah. I feel the real tone, his his real self was coming out when he directed Invisible Man, because it was just before Bride of Frankenstein. Bride yeah. of Frankenstein is yeah. considered his, that's the, his opus, yep, yep, really, that's where the big horror one. is concerned. Yeah. But Invisible Man starts his road to you know what i'm making films the way i want to make them. yeah yeah uh, you can tell it by the tone of the film and how it was shot and one of the reasons why this film should have been recognized by oscar is because it's called the invisible man and guess what we actually have a mother effing <laughs> invisible man <laughs> running around in this movie yeah in 1933 right yeah, yeah. i mean that's that's pretty incredible i mean that you know you got to keep in mind that at that time they're still experimenting with lenses and cameras well, and how aspect ratio works i'm sorry have we, had, had we broken the atom yet have we, had, <laughs> had we done that yet we hadn't sent a man uh, to the yeah, moon we hadn't sent a man to the moon but no. we actually we we have a movie that will make you believe a man can be invisible yes yes and aside from just the effects it's a damn good script oh yeah yeah it's a damn good script and in fact i I think it's one of the best and most underrated of the Universal films, mm. certainly. But it, it, it's my favorite. Really? Yeah. I, I've known you now for d nearly 20 years, and I did not realize that your the, favorite the, Universal monster movie... My favorite of that era. I, it's tough that to, era. Yeah, it's tough to pick for me on Universal as a whole between ah. that and The Wolfman. Right. Th right. Those are, those are my, my... But yeah, Invisible Man's ah. it's right there with what... Because right. it's so well directed it's mm, so well yes. structured and it's fun and yes. it's it's goofy <laughs> at times but man when it gets scary and and when it gets you know into the into the good stuff it gets into it this is where the academy should have created an award for special effects yeah it's 1933 yeah not in the 80s yeah this is this in is, my opinion it's it's really a remarkable performance too i mean keep in mind that um claude rains who plays Griffin, the Invisible Man, you don't see him. Yeah, I mean, you don't. It's it's not like it's Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, where we meet the scientist and then we watch him turn invisible. He is invisible when the film starts. Yeah, he does the entire film, either wrapped head to toe, wrapped head to toe, or being invisible, being invisible until yeah. the last what is it six seconds, the last frame yeah. of the film, yeah. you see Claude Rains. Other than that, here's an actor who you don't see him in the entire film, and yet his performance is amazing. Yeah. Should have gotten an actor nomination. Yeah. Should have got a director nomination. I agree. Should have gotten an adapted screenplay nomination. Yep. And the Special Effects Academy Award should have been created right here. And I, and I would argue 1933, with the other films that, that were nominated that year, I, I, I would argue that this should have been nominated. 
best, best picture. picture. I yeah, I would. Yeah, I would argue that. The Body Snatcher, nineteen forty-five. Uh, you've got two heavyweights of horror in this film. You've got Val Luton producing. And the great Robert Wise directing. Yeah. Academy Award winning director for, uh, uh, I think, West Side Story, I think mm-hmm. is what he won for. And another film that we'll talk about in a little bit as yes. well he directed. But yeah, it's, it's oh God, it's such a good film. And out of all of the Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff team-up films of that time, I know a lot of people love to talk about The Black Cat. Yeah. And Black and it, Clad is great. It's a great film. But if you want, if you want to see performances mm-hmm. from these two men, <sighs> it's just, just it's <sighs> so it's such a good film. And even though Lugosi doesn't quite get to shine in it the way he used to, right? He's still very very good, and the script is so good. Yeah. And I think it might, in my opinion, might be. Next to Bride of Frankenstein might be Karloff's best best, best, best really? performance, no, okay. I think so. Ironically, also the last time that Karloff and Lugosi worked together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's just such a great film and so well well, so well shot. I remember that you and I, gosh, this was maybe 10, 15 years ago now. Oh, well, yeah. We uh, we went on a, a big, big Val Luton kick for a while there, right. and we just started studying every film that he put out and and I remember the two of us sitting there watching this one, and we just were both like, "Oh, this is just so Lord. cool! This just is Lord. so yeah. those scene. Oh, those scenes in those darkly lit small. I mean, you feel like you're in those cramped yeah. English pubs and English huts. And oh gosh, it's so well directed. Definitely shouldn't have got a best picture nomination. Absolutely for me. For me, that's a, that's a best picture nomination. I would give Karloff. Best Actor nomination, I would give Lugosi Supporting Actor mm-hmm. because he, he is in it less yes. than Carl. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a supporting right. one. Right. Yeah. Wow. Directing? Yeah. I, I believe it deserves a directing uh, nomination there, too. I think so, too. And I, I'm not entirely certain how much of that is Robert Weiss and how much of how that much is, is Val Luton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, as you know, and I'm sure many of our listeners out there know, as well, Val Luton had his fingers in his movies as a producer. Every and movie, yeah. Yeah, that's why all the Val Luton films look the same. <laughs> it almost feels like they were all made by the same director, same but man. they're not. Yes. So you got to think that Val was a part of it. So I don't know. I don't know if just the mixture of Robert Weiss and Val Luton was what made it so perfect. Or uh, yeah, I I would agree though. Director, either way, yeah, and and cinematography. Mm. Cinematography, I mean, it's gorgeous, black and white, scary, moody camera work, and and really one of the one of the best. I pick one of the best horror films of all time. The Haunting, nineteen sixty three. I remember the most recent time watching this film. You brought it over to the house. My wife had never seen it, and this is definitely one that really stuck out because she'd never read the book. She had seen, I think, in passing that horrible Oh God, not the remake. Remake. Ugh. Modern day remake. Yeah, that 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 piece of crap. Ugh. And we sat her down, we watched this, and even though we make even though we did poke fun at a handful of dialogue choices. Sure, because of the era. Right, yeah. exactly. The film holds 
up. Oh, yeah. To this day, this film holds up. You know, I, ironically, my wife is, I would say, less of a horror fan than your wife. Yeah. Uh, but she does like certain ones. She does enjoy ones that are a little bit more fun, you know. And, and, and she has gotten into some of the older slasher films, the, mm-hmm. the late 70s and 80s slasher films. Oh, she does yes. enjoy enjoy that stuff with me. But when it comes to stuff that is a little more paranormal mm-hmm. and a little more, I don't know if necessarily realistic is the is the right word, but a little bit more mature, I guess, in the way it's handled. Right. She she tends to steer clear of that. Uh-huh. I mean, she still says that The Conjuring is the scariest movie she's ever seen, and she refuses to watch it ever again. Yeah, I know but we've been trying to. Get I know we've been trying to get. One. Yeah, and she just won't do it. But she won't watch any film in the Conjuring universe. No, and and other than Aquaman, I don't know that she'll ever watch anything by James Wan ever again <laughs> because of what The Conjuring did to her. But The Haunting, one of her favorites of all time. Really? Nice. Yeah, okay. she she Good. watched it because because it's so well written mm. and it's so well paced. Yes. Pacing for that movie for a film that shows you absolutely nothing. There is never a ghost on camera. There is never a monster or anything. It's all sound and the way shots are set up. The closest thing you get to actually seeing anything in that film the famous scene, the scene in the study when the walls are pounding. Yeah. And, and I, just even thinking about it, I just got goosebumps. That scene just creeps me out every time. But at one point, the pounding is so bad, the door begins to bow. Yes. And it begins to, and it's slight. It's ever so slight, right. but it's noticeable. That's the closest thing any kind of but anything that you see. It's just a and door. And it's just bowing. a door. That's, That's all. it. That's all it is. You're not seeing what's making it bow. Nope. You don't want to nope. see what's <laughs> no, you it don't. Bow. Exactly. No, you don't. Yeah. And, you know, I know we just we just talked about him on uh, Body Snatcher, but Robert Wise. Yeah. Robert Wise. How did he not get nominated for director for The Haunting? Yeah. yeah. Come on. I don't know if I could actually pick a specific performance in that movie. That's definitely an ensemble film. Yeah, everybody oh, yeah. makes that film work. Yeah, I agree. There's a great balance, but but again, also adapted from Shirley Jackson's yep. book. Yeah, The so Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, definitely needs a nomination where adapted screenplay is concerned. I agree. Definitely needs directing. I agree. Uh, cinematography. Oh, absolutely. Hands freaking down, man. Absolutely. I, I would say, uh, I would say probably a nomination for for Julie Harris. Uh, for okay. for uh, for actress, I I really like Richard Johnson and Russ Tamblin. I don't know that I would nominate either right, of them right. for it, but um, I, I would say Julie Harris. Yeah, where everybody else's performance is concerned, they are the ones that are supposed to subdue Julie Harris's yeah performance. Yes, yes, because she is so taken by the house right. and everything that's right. there. So they bring her. They balance. They, that's why I say great ensemble because they all balance each other out in some way. Yes, absolutely. This is one of those years that I would say that it, it was the best film of the year. Mm. Nothing against Tom Jones. I mean, Tom Jones is fine. It's fine. Because everybody it's whatever. loves Tom Jones, I but, guess. But, uh, yeah, it's fine. It's whatever. But I, I'm sorry. The Haunting is... Yeah. Uh, it's hard for a film that, especially in this day and age, that is that old to still hold up the way that this one does. And, yeah, there's a couple of lines here and there that are a little dated, 
But even then, they're yeah. not as dated as they're not as dated as some lines that you see in movies from the nineties. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's a quality film. Yeah. In every way. Definitely. Halloween, nineteen seventy eight. It was a, go, a lot of good stuff that came out that year, but I think Halloween really was the one that kind of changed horror and and affected filmmaking in general. Yeah. Um, and yet, completely ignored. Yeah, completely ignored. And and I don't want to. We'll we'll get into the the acting and the writing and the directing and everything in a second. Something about this film, and I know a lot of people go back and forth. So I'm just going to set the record straight. Yes, Black Christmas, which came out several years earlier, sure. was the first slasher film sure. that did the whole perspective of the killer bit. Right. We're not denying that. What we are saying is that Halloween perfected it. Yeah. Because of the steady cam. Yes. Which now, they weren't even calling it that no. at the time because, again, this, this is something brand new. Yeah. It was the brand new way of, of shooting things because they had to. Yeah, they had to. And, and now keep in mind, now again, we're also not saying that this is the first film to use a steady cam. We know that. Right. We know steady cam had been around prior to Halloween, but not long. Keep in mind, the first film to actually use a steady cam was Bound for Glory. In 1976, only two years right. prior. So you're talking about a form of shooting that is not normal no. at this time. No. And then here comes this young, hotshot, nobody director who comes along and takes this new way of viewing a film and this new way of shooting a film and just turns it on its ear and essentially creates a genre. Yeah. Out of it. Yeah. A- and that so, you know, yeah, sure, the steady cam was around, but it wasn't used like this. It wasn't used like this and they didn't have the money. It, it, it's really a movie that came together because of the necessity of not having a lot of money to right. do it. You right. don't have a lot of time, you don't have a lot of money. You got to get it done fast. So instead of laying down track after track after track to do steady shots with a dolly, what do you get? The steady cam. Yep. And you shoot you you shoot the majority of your film with the steady cam. This gives you the opportunity to create the ambiance of what part of one one half of the ambiance. It's the way the film is shot, and then the score. The score of this film is what makes it so nerve wracking. Yeah. I'm not gonna call it terrifying. It's nerve wracking because you know he's around here somewhere, damn it. it it's he's an anxiety. Somewhere. It's an intention. Yes. That, yes. Yeah. Even today, knowing how the movie ends, I will still get the, the hairs on the back oh, of yeah. my neck during that last 20 minutes of the movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I still think, as great as the Exorcist theme is and as great as other you know horror film themes are, I still think it's the greatest horror film theme of I, all time. Yeah. Without actually sitting down with all of my favorite scores in front of me to choose from right now, I'm going to have to agree. So we'll just have to have a future podcast that actually examines horror movie scores. Yes, at some point. That's and a we good will, idea. And we will do that. we will that. definitely yes. have a definitive answer where that is concerned. But then you also add in the acting. I mean, look at this. Yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, first role. 
playing against type. Yeah. Because she wasn't the good girl. She wasn't the quiet one. Yet pulls off this performance of what horror fans really now today are are viewing as the quintessential final girl. Yeah. And and despite the sequels and remakes and reimaginings and anything else like that, where this film is concerned, you have your elements. You have the character in distress, you have the monster chasing her, and you have the pseudo-hero, not really a hero, but the pseudo-hero trying to bring the monster down. The Van Helsing. The, the Yes, you're Van Helsing. You're, you're Captain Ahab to Michael Myers' Moby Dick. Yep. You've got to have your Ahab yeah. hunting him down. Exactly. For, for something that was originally going to be called the Babysitter Murders, yeah. <laughs> and we could have possibly had a guy running around oh, with a man. clown mask yeah, on, yeah. I think this movie completely, it being completely ignored by the Academy, is an insult. And it's not just an insult to the horror genre, it's an insult to movie making, oh, yeah. period. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this film was so influential all the way around that classically trained actors like Christopher Lee mm. said that it was one of the great regrets. Regrets, yes, because he was originally life. He offered. was offered the role of Loomis, right? and he passed on it. Yeah. And I think it was because of the, the grueling schedule, I think, mm. wasn't it? Didn't it have I something do to do with so, that? Yeah. Yeah. But he said it was one of the great regrets. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... it's I, I would have nominated it for... Probably best picture, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I probably would have gone cinematography, director, score, uh, score, actress, and um, and supporting actor for sure for for Donald Pleasance. Yeah, you know I I don't know about uh, well maybe editing too. I might I might even go so far as to say the editing because the pacing of that film is perfect. Yeah, for for the kind of film it is. So yeah, I w- I would probably personally I don't know about you, but personally <laughs> I would rack up quite a few nominations on that movie. A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. My wife likes to point out that all the great things in the world <laughs> came out in 1984 because that's the year she was born. <laughs> and sadly, I have to agree with her because a lot of great things did come oh, yeah. out in 1984. And I'm not just talking about horror, but when we're talking about horror... 1984 yeah. is the year where my personal monster, the man who used to give me nightmares, and every now and then still does, <laughs> Freddy Krueger and A Nightmare on Elm Street came out in 1984 and changed things. Very similar to 1978 when Halloween came out. Yeah, Halloween changed things, and we had a bar set. And then, of course, you know, Hollywood went gaga and created a lot of copycats, most of them crap, mm-hmm. but then a handful of there really was a, good yeah, ones. Yeah, there's a few, yeah. So how do you expand the slasher genre? Let's bring in Wes Craven, who, to date, had only made, legitimately, two other films before this. Both horror. Yeah. Very disturbing horror. Yeah. And he decides, oh, okay, well, yeah, you die in your sleep. There's a guy who kills you in your sleep. Your dreams kill you. Wait a minute. I'm not even safe when I go to bed? Yep. Oh. And and literally a phenomenon. I love Jason Voorhees. I uh, love yeah, Michael uh, Myers. Yep, me too. I love yep. Leatherface and Pinhead and Chucky to boot. But none of them are as iconic yep. 
as Freddy Krueger portrayed by Robert Englund. And this would be one of the very first times where I would say Robert Englund deserves a Best Actor nomination for this film. I agree. Along with, of course, directing and writing where Wes Craven is concerned. And I'll even give you one more. Nancy, again, very similar to Jamie Lee Curtis with Laurie Strode. Nancy Thompson is your 80s final girl. But with Spunk, because instead of running from the monster, she's fighting the monster. Which you don't necessarily which you didn't necessarily see a lot in horror films up to this time. You know, it's also and I, and again, I know that there there was some of this in other films prior to, but this is the first time that we've gone really big mainstream with the idea that that our female protagonist, our eventual last girl for the film has some sort of dysfunctional family baggage of mm. some kind, which of course has become the cliche staple of all. Yes. It, it's become a films. trope. Now. Yes. It's definitely become a trope. And and again, not saying that this was the very first time that we had seen that, but this was the first time that we had seen it at this kind of level, at this quality. Right. And it was the first time mainstream. Well it's impactful had given too it to, to the us. story. I mean if you read between the lines, you could actually go as far as saying is that the whole reason why Marge and her husband, Lieutenant Thompson, were separated is because of what they did mm-hmm. to Fred Krueger yeah. all those years ago. There's even, uh, and, and you necessarily can't really find it on the DVDs, but it's out there on the internets. There's an actual scene that was taken out of the the basement scene where where Nancy's mom finally comes clean yeah. and tells Nancy about Fred Krueger. There's a s- snippet at the end of that that scene after she's shown her the glove where she says, you weren't always an only child. Whoa. Evidently, Nancy, in, in an original script, in one of the original scripts, in, in this universe that Wes Craven helped create, Nancy was not their first child. So, again, there's even more built wow, in. Wow, I did not ever hear yeah, that. Yeah. Wow, that's I mean, a new the, one to the me. The quality is horrible when you watch it on, on huh. YouTube, but you can hear but you hear what she's saying, and you go like, holy crap, why did they take that out of the story? Wow. Yeah. Again, Wes Craven is building, and it's and literally, it's just his first movie, but he is building this 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 world where it just uh, just maybe 10 years earlier, this town, Springwood, was just in the clutches of a madman who was stealing their children and killing them. Make no mistakes. Fred Krueger was a child molester and murderer. And yet we we have elevated him to horror iconic status because... Well, I mean, because the, the because of the, Robert Robert England, England yes, because exactly. of Robert. England. I mean, Robert him. England turned this character, who was already a scary, well developed monster by by Wes Craven. Robert England turned him into essentially our generation's Dracula. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. he he is the king of the post seventies horror. I know a lot of people icons. like to consider Michael Myers the boogeyman because of the film, you know. Sure, because boogeyman. they call him, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Freddy Krueger is the boogeyman. He he is the boogeyman. He's my boogeyman. He'll always be my boogeyman. Wes Craven should have gotten nominations for writing and directing. 
another I don't know if I would go score totally, but I mean that's also again an it iconic, is a good score. It is an iconic it is a good melody. Score. Yeah, I, one two. Freddie's coming for you. Yeah. I again. I, I mean, we. I have to cut this short because I could go on and on and on <laughs> about a nightmare on Elm Street for a, a, a good. I'm just going to shut up now. <laughs> Saw, 2004. This film is, I think, one of the most cleverly written horror films of all time, and it's really because you just don't. You just don't see it coming. Yeah. You just don't see it coming. We we are going to say right now, spoilers coming. If you do, if you haven't seen Saw, I, I don't know why you wouldn't have Again, seen it by now. It, right, exactly. If you but haven't just, seen it by now, you're obviously not in a hurry to see it. So, so just be aware, we're going to be forward. spoiling this one. I, I would like to point out just how mind-blowing the script and the twists in this film are by telling a little story. So, Nick, you and I went and saw this movie. We saw we, we saw, saw. We we went to seesaw. We we <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And uh and there weren't many people in the theater that day and I remember I believe it was you me and uh your mom. mom. It I was think. my mother, yeah. Yeah. And we were we were sitting there and I think there was a group of kids behind us, I want to say, who just would not shut up. I wouldn't call them necessarily kids. They were about our age. Were they older? Yeah. Okay. They were Boy, about our age, but they were just they were obnoxious. So it obnoxious. Yeah. It was four dudes and maybe one girl. And they just talked throughout the whole thing and we kept turning around and telling them to shut up and and we kept It started you know, with turns and, and dirty looks. Yes. Then it was the shushs. And then it was would you shut up? Yeah. And then literally right before, yeah. Well, this is well, your story. Eventually. You're, you're <laughs> why, why, why would I take over your story? That's okay. Well, yeah, because yeah, <laughs> we both know each other's stories at this point. What happens is at the end of the film, near the end of the film. After, near the end of the film. After Carrie Elwes has sawed, sawed his foot. leg, his foot, yeah. and has left the room. At this point, it felt like the movie was over. It even, the way... The shots were edited together. It felt like the film was over. So Nick and these idiots are still going, and they're on still and going on, on and on. And I'm just like, I'm done. So Nick looked at me and he goes, "All right, this is basically over. I'm going to go complain." And I was like, "Okay, fine." So he gets up. He no more than rounds the corner when Tobin Bell starts to stand up off the floor and peel the red makeup and latex off and the twist happens and I just remember looking up and turning and going Nick wait come back but by then he was gone luckily because these these punks behind us caused him to miss the end of the movie uh, luckily the theater was was nice enough to give us free passes to a, a future movie but so I'll pick up the story from my perspective I leave I walk out I get the passes and I'm still standing outside waiting for Jason and my mother to come out. And at the time, I was a smoker, so I'm standing there. I'm, I'm standing there smoking. They come out, and Jason's shaking his head, and he's like, the movie wasn't over. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> it wasn't done. There was a twist. And I'm like, are you effing And I start, I go off on a little rant. And at the exact same time I'm going on my rant, these people that were sitting behind us step out. 
And you can see they were about to light up and talk about the movie, but then they saw me mm-hmm. and yep. my my fury, and they kind of just they just scurried kind of, off yep, into yep. the darkness, and and were never never heard of again. So yeah, I was I was very upset. I never got to see the actual ending of Saw until the DVD release, and I'm you know I immediately bought it, knew that I wanted to own the movie, and I finally could see it. And I'm like. Holy crap! This is a brilliant twist, and that's the and that's the thing about the movie that it always struck me that twist at the I didn't even know I was supposed to be looking for a twist, right? Which is always a big surprise to me. I love it when I I don't know that there's a twist that I'm supposed to be looking for, but it, it just proved in that moment when I freaked out as Nick walked out of the theater how brilliantly this yeah. was written, and. On top of that, on top of the twists and the clever structure of the thing, it also could easily be adapted for stage. Oh, it could, yeah. yeah. Very easily. I mean, it's, it is so well-written and so well-directed. I, it, it would be hard-pressed, and I would have to go back and look and see what other movies came out that year. I don't know if I would go so far as to say it was a best picture, Maybe I would. I don't know. Right. I would certainly give a nomination, I think, to James Wan and absolutely yeah. score uh, a screenplay. I'm sorry. Absolutely screenplay. Score, too, though. The score was well, awesome. Well, I mean, this is the early years of James Wan and Lynn Wanell. Yep, yep. Who would then go on to bring us more Saw films, which I feel never reached the quality of the first one. But you also get the Insidious franchise. Yep. You also get all the Conjuring films. Yep. And this was the beginning. Yes, it was. And this was a mind blow. It was a game changer too, because this was the time where horror in horror, where it was it was torture porn, yep. the gross out stuff. Because yep. very sh- shortly after Saw came Hostel. Yeah, a lot of people like to compare Saw to Hostel, but I don't. I can't. You can't. They are two totally. It's apples. It's apples and oranges, man. You can't compare the two just because there is brutality in both of these films. They are nowhere near like each other. So when I look at Saw, ah, despite the fact that I didn't get to see the ending in the beginning, <laughs> uh, they're great performances by people you were like, holy crap, he's in this movie? Danny yeah, Glover. Yeah, Danny Glover gives an amazing is performance. Is in this in movie. And I'm like, I would never in a million years think Danny Glover would do a, a, a psychological thriller horror film like this. Yet... With him and Carrie Elwes, there is there's some legitimacy brought to the project. Tobin Bell, who has been a character actor yep. for years before this, you put him as Jigsaw. Again, I think what, what started shifting in the 80s for where horror was concerned is, is we started making our monsters, our bad guys, realistic. Real, and in, in, well, in a way, even relatable. To to a certain extent, it was why Anthony Hopkins was nominated for Hannibal Lecter because it was somebody that you could actually believe exists. I can believe that John Kramer, the Jigsaw Killer, I could believe somebody like him could exist. It goes to show that yes, even though the torture porn craze was going on at the same time, that Saw really kind of showed us no horror films can be intelligent yeah. without being artsy and psychological thrillers 
Uh, they can be a typical horror film and still be well written. You can have all the blood and guts yeah. that you want, and it can still be a good film. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got all of the other films that that those guys ha- have done, The Conjuring and Insidious, and you know, all the films that are connected to The Conjuring, and all you know, all these films that have come out over recent years that are are well written horror films that you would never have had without Saw. But yeah. all of the other films, I mean. Get Out is so looked at as such a great horror film, and and it's a great film. I love Get Out. I don't know that we would have had Get Out had we not had Saw. Hmm. I, I you know hmm. I think that okay. Saw, from a screenplay standpoint, I think Saw changed the game for horror films. It just maybe did it a little earlier than the other films right, could catch up with right, it you know right. it, it was a little ahead well we're right but it opened concerned. the door you, you look at uh, specifically horror and science fiction are the two genres to where you can easily put any subject matter and disguise it as horror or science fiction and you can actually tell a morality play without being called out oh you're try- you have an agenda and you want to say something that's specifically horror, science fiction as well, but specifically horror can wear the mask of anything. Mm-hmm. And yet, yet here we are, we're doing a podcast episode about how hor- the horror genre is overlooked time and time again for the legitimacy yeah. that it does bring, yet people who are a part of the Academy for one reason or another just don't want to recognize yeah. And it's just it's just a damn shame. Yeah, it really is. So besides these six films that we pointed out, what horror films do you think were completely overlooked by Oscar over the years? We want to know. Head on over to Twitter and reach out to us at 2GT Horror and let us know. Most recent horror films ignored. I don't know about you, Jason, but I kind of feel like over the last handful of years, there has been a renaissance where horror is concerned. We have not only been getting more mainstream horror that's actually good, but we're actually getting the lower under the radar horror that surprises people to the point where once upon a time, Actors would get their start in horror films yeah. and then move on and never never look back. Yeah. We have now entered an age where actors are seeking out horror scripts, yeah. good horror scripts, and giving great performances Yeah, absolutely. in these films. It seems like we go back and forth. Sometimes they get recognized, sometimes they don't. And this past year, there are some films that are recognized – but they're recognized for the technical shit and not for the brilliance of their writing or their directing or the acting involved. At least at the Oscars. At least at the Oscars, yes. But but at most awards, too. Still, but yeah. right. Uh, uh, one, one film that I'm going to bring up, I'm gonna get, we'll get this one out of the way first because it is at least nominated for one Academy Award, uh, a, a Quiet Place. Yeah. I saw this in the theater. I, I was floored by this movie. And it definitely does deserve its nomination for sound editing. 
But of course, it's a, a film that is almost a silent film. It's a, almost a silent horror film. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense. But yet, no nomination for the script, which, I mean, it's a brilliant concept. Or Krasinski for script or for director. Or for director. I mean, he directed, he, he helped write the script. Yep. He was a main character in the damn movie, and he directed it. And no, no, Nothing for him? And I'm sorry, how does Emily Blunt go from winning the SAG Award... For best actress, best leading actress, leading actress for the in SAG a Awards. film for Quiet Place, for a Quiet Place, and then not even get nominated, nothing for an Oscar. That's she won uh, the damn SAG Award for this film, and yet didn't get a nomination at the yeah. Oscars. Yeah, I mean it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, and this 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 is one of those films, yeah, science fiction, because these things are from space; they're not from Earth. Okay, so you got your science fiction aspect. But it is horror because these are monsters and they literally they will devour you. And yet a family drama. Yeah. I, I mean, come on. It's got all of it's got it's, it's a recipe for a best picture. Yep. Nomination, at least. At least I thought for sure. I thought for sure it would get nominated best picture. Yeah. I thought for sure Emily Blunt would get nominated. I'm not all that surprised that John Krasinski was overlooked people unfortunately. are still too they're still too wrapped up of his tv they're work. still yep, yep he is not jim anymore guys yep let it go yeah steve so carell has moved on and you've allowed him to and move you've allowed on. him to and you've nominated him let for such, krasinski yeah. go yeah so that doesn't surprise me it's unfortunate but it doesn't surprise me yeah. but um i i really really thought that a quiet place was going to yeah. get best picture and and best actress i really yeah. did it's it's a big disappointment <sighs> And and the rest of the the rest of the films we're going to talk about briefly are also a disappointment too. Hereditary, again, we are getting these these films that are so layered. Yes, there is the horror aspect, but but it's also psychological and everything else. And you're getting legitimate talent to be a part of this. Tawny Collette, I have been watching Tawny Collette since. Well, hell, really, in my mind, the first time I remember seeing her was The Sixth Sense. And she has done more comedic and dramatic stuff. And, my God, you want to talk about female performances in horror. This is, this is like, this, again, well, Emily, like Emily Blunt. Where's at least the nomination? Well, what I don't understand is how can Toni Collette be nominated for Supporting Actress for The Sixth Sense? And, and and I guess I should rephrase that. That makes total sense. Mm. It was a very good performance. It was a great film, and she absolutely deserved that a nomination. Very small cast. But that's, what I—that's the thing. Yeah. But what I don't understand is that performance compared to Hereditary. How is it she got a nomination for that and not yeah, for Hereditary? Exactly. She should have been for both. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, another film that it completely ignored, but uh, definitely a nominee. Like all of these films, A Quiet Place, Hereditary, uh, these are films that are up for spookies. For, yeah. For our spookies. Yeah. Uh, again, this film also up for a spooky, Mandy. Yeah. Completely a 180 where all these other films are concerned. Uh, this is probably the closest you'll get to your art house horror. Yeah. Because of the way that it's shot. Yeah. And the cinematography. But then but then you've, you have Nicolas Cage. Yep. Not Nicolas Caging it. No. 
but yet, no, I guess, you know, the Academy is like, you know what? We gave you one for leaving Las Vegas. You're done. Yeah, I guess that's his his one and done. One and done. One and done. I have my issues with this film, and I've even done a Cut the Crap movie review with our sometime co-host, Diesel, Diesel Adams, over this film. And I'll put a link in the show notes so that folks can listen to it if they want. But Halloween... 2018 Halloween H4O whatever you want to call it <laughs> Halloween 2 but not but being not called two, Halloween 2 because yeah. it's just Halloween again another Halloween what, whatever you want to call it I have my issues with this movie but yet again a legitimacy brought to the horror genre because this film does feel like a continuation of John Carpenter's original. Yeah. It does feel that way. The way that it is shot, it is shot similar yeah. to the way Carpenter shot his original. It is a a, a film that, that gives you anxiety. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's cranked up because, again, you know, it's 40 years later. We got to crank it up. We got to ra- rank right. that up. Right. Uh, not necessarily know if I wanted to give any kind of writing nomination for it, but no. But damn it! But Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, I I don't think that is the thing that makes you believe in this film in this story. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Academy has given what basically amounts to lifetime achievement nominations no, no, in years no. past, where actors who typically have done amazing work and never been recognized for it, get nominated or even win for a film that that is just so-so. Yeah. If you're going to do that, why the hell didn't Jamie Lee get a nomination for this? Yeah. Is it the best thing she's ever done? No, probably not. No, definitely not. Up against other performances of the year, should it be nominated? I don't know. That's up to each person to choose individually, I suppose. But... But if you're going to give Lifetime Achievement nominations in other years to other people, where the hell was hers? She yeah. certainly earned that. I mean, where where this film is concerned, the portrayal of Laurie Strode as a broken woman, a, a determined woman, but, a bro- but also a broken woman as well. We see this strong woman, master of firearms and survival, and then we see the quiet moments. We see, we see the cracks. It's really hard as an actor to be able to show that without saying it. Yep. That's, I mean, that's the whole trick of being the actor is being able to show it, not say it. Yeah. And Jamie Lee Curtis does. So regardless of any other feelings that I have for Halloween H4O, Jamie Lee Curtis definitely deserved to be recognized for her talent years ago, but, but specifically for this. But there are other films that I don't I don't know that I would necessarily give bigger nominations to, mm-hmm. yeah. but things like The Nun, which I think absolutely deserved either some sort of a makeup or effects yeah. nomination. I, to be honest, I haven't actually seen the film yet, but I have heard the soundtrack for Anna and the Apocalypse. And while, mm. no, I don't know the film personally, and I personally have not seen it, the music is good. Right. It is a musical. Yeah. And not one song from that film was good enough to be nominated. I thought they were fun songs. Grant, I, maybe I maybe I need to see it in context with the film. Maybe it's different. But 
listening to the soundtrack, the Possibly, songs were good. Because it is a horror film. You, beside, despite the fact that it's a musical comedy that's also a Christmas movie that has zombies, the fact that it has zombies yep, totally what, takes away its legitimacy that's what takes it where it. the yep. Academy is concerned. Yep. And that shouldn't be the case. No, I agree. It, it shouldn't be the case because just because there's zombies, it's, it's the same reason why I still love the the early seasons of The Walking Dead. You could tell this story with any kind of disaster. Yeah. It just so happens that the disaster for this story is a virus, very real in this day and age, that just so happens to bring the dead back to life. Okay. And it's not about the zombies. Or at least that's how the early seasons depicted it. It wasn't about the zombies. It was the people surviving the zombies. Right, right. So it shouldn't matter. No, it shouldn't. Sadly, But it 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 unfortunately does. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we'll ask you, what horror films do you feel were ignored by Oscar this year? Reach out to us over at our Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash 2GTHorror.com. And share your thoughts with us. We could go on and on about even more films that were ignored, but again, we're not going to do that. We want to keep this under three hours. Yeah, yeah. For your sanity and for ours. (laughs) Definitely check out our social media pages so you can get involved with uh, the Spookies. If not this year, we're definitely going to be doing it next year as well. It, It will be a yearly tradition for Two Guys Talking Horror. Until next time, I'm your host, Nicholas J. Hearn. I'm your co-host, Jason Contini. And remember, don't be afraid of the voting ballot sheet. Be afraid of what's on the voting ballot sheet. Congratulations. You've survived this episode of Two Guys Talking Horror. We hope you were entertained and informed by our program. Take what you have learned and pass it on to your family and friends. It may just save their lives someday. Have questions? Comments? Suggestions for a future episode? Visit our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. Click anywhere on the right-hand side and fill out our short web form. It's the easiest way to interact with the hosts. Beware of monsters, creatures, and all things that go bump in the night. And keep telling yourself, it's only a podcast. It's It's only only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's It's only a podcast. We're going to take a quick break here during the Two Guys Talking Horror Goes to the Oscars episode. And when we come back, we're going to dive heavily into a handful of films that we feel just got dropped like a, a date at prom and then ended up sitting at the, at the loser's table 
drink and punch. So we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow.